0: Glad to be with you, bring you greetings from Temple Hills Baptist Church. Uh, It's so so good to know that we're in the same family, right? We're kind of brothers and sisters in the faith. We're separated by some distance, uh, but one day we won't be. One day we'll be worshiping around the throne together of different languages and ethnicities, all worshiping the King Jesus who loves us and gave himself for us. So I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Let me pray again a brief word of prayer, and then we will open up God's word together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to, uh, to know and to treat and to read and obey your word as what it really is. The living word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, ready and able uh, to turn hearts, to cut back hard hearts, to renew uh, dead hearts, to strengthen weary hearts. We pray that you would do your work by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who or what can you rely on? Who or what can you rely on? I wonder as we're near the midpoint of another year, another tumultuous year, if that question is burning atop your mind. Maybe it's been a year so far where friends have betrayed you, proving not to be as trustworthy as you once thought. Or maybe it's family members who have let you down over something seemingly as small as not getting you everything you requested for your birthday or Mother's Day. Or as significant as discovering some devastating news of indiscretion or some secret sin. Perhaps it's been the downfall of people in broader Christianity whose ministries you've been molded by that have you now mulling, whether there are any true models of faith. Maybe faith itself should be mocked. I mean, can anyone, anything really be relied upon, depended upon, trusted? Well, friends, in our passage this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul takes this concept of reliance, and removes it from finding any footing in people or positions or human genius or giftings and plants it firmly in God's Word and on God. Specifically in this chapter, Paul shows his reliance on God the Holy Spirit to use His Word to accomplish His work. And he calls us all this morning... Do the same. So if you have your Bible, would would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and this morning we'll look at verses 1 through 5 together. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, And I, when I came to you, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Of God. Uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, a church plagued by division and disunity, competition and clamoring to be made much of. And in response, he pits the way they're behaving, the things they're valuing, acting more like the world, he pits those things against the way the Lord works. Uh, God doesn't operate according to worldly wisdom. He doesn't prize pomp or status. He's not impressed by intellect or skill. I mean, he's the one who imparts intellect, who skills the skilled. Or rather, he uses seemingly weak things. The cross of Christ, the suffering of his son A- and weak people like the Corinthian Christians relatively low on the social status pole to shame the strong and the supposed wise and to change the hearts of his chosen. Here, Paul peels back, as it were, the layers of how that understanding of how God works fuels his life and ministry, which I think is meant to serve as a model for us. So if you're looking for a main idea of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5, a a main point, I think, is this. Center your life on speaking of Christ. And let God showcase his powerful work through your profound weakness. Now, here you got these convenient screens that mean I don't have to repeat it 15 times like I have to do back home. But I'm going to say it one more time. Center your life, right, make that the, 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 the center, right, the, the main thing. Center your life on speaking of Christ and let God showcase his powerful work through your profound weakness. As we study this passage, we'll hang our thoughts around three actions this text is calling us to do. Three points to the sermon, three actions. Number one, plan to prioritize the word. We see that in verses one and two. Number two, live to minimize your worth. We see that in verses three and four. And number three, rest in God's spirit to work. We see that in verse five. Plan to prioritize the word, live to minimize your worth, and then rest in God's spirit to work. First, plan to prioritize the word. That's what Paul did. He reminds the Corinthians here in verse 1 of when he first came to them. You can go back this afternoon and and read the story in Acts chapter 18 of, of Paul's initial visit to Corinth. This bustling city or trade city on the Mediterranean coast where all kinds of people and all kinds of cultures and all kinds of religions mingled. Uh, What was Paul's ministry to them about? What did it consist of? Preaching the word. He says here that he proclaimed the testimony of God. Uh, This testimony of God can be taken in, in two ways. I think there are two aspects of it. One is that it's the testimony from God. And secondly, it's the testimony about God. Uh, So so first, it's the testimony from God. In other words, God has written a book. Saints, I don't know who your favorite author is, who you find to be most constructive or most creative or most compelling. But whoever it is, multiply them by infinity and they will not match this author. The Lord God Almighty, uh, the, the maker of heaven and earth. This one has penned a book. Take that book and read it. Prioritize that book above all other books. The Other books are fine. They contain some wisdom and some truth. But no other book has divine origin. No other book comes from the one who is wisdom, who is truth. It's the testimony from God. And this book is the testimony about God. Friends, we don't need to go and find God. You hear people talk that way sometimes, don't you? I went out to the mountains. Maybe to Sedona where me and John went yesterday. Beautiful. I went out to some mountaintop or some mountain range or some beautiful place in nature and found God. But God is not hiding. God has revealed himself. And now, yes, one of the ways God has revealed himself is in nature. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says that his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen in the things that he has made. Uh, Creation testifies about him, but only up to a certain point. You can't intimately know about God through what he's made. You intimately know God through what he said, through his word. God doesn't leave it to our imaginations to to figure out what he's like or what he demands or how much he loves us and cares for us and, and what he's done to show that love. He testifies about it in his word. The Bible is God's autobiography testifying about him. And this testimony specifically centers on his eternal son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for us through his death on the cross. From Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible is pointing to Christ and his work. That's not just conjecture. That's what Jesus himself says. In John chapter five, verse thirty nine, he tells the Pharisees, you you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. That testify about me. The entire Bible points to Jesus from genesis's promise of a seed who would crush the serpent's head to exodus's dramatic deliverance from slavery uh, to leviticus's a sacrificial system to atone for people's sins from deuteronomy's declaration that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree uh, to uh, to uh, the judges uh, cycles of sin over and over again, followed by cycles of many miniature saviors. Uh, to Ruth's provision of a redeemer who would come and rescue and redeem all that's been lost. It's all pointing to Jesus, who on the cross crushed Satan's head and delivered us not from the slavery to some foreign captive power, but from slavery to sin. And as the Lamb of God laid down his life as a sacrificial atonement that Leviticus pointed to, becoming, as Deuteronomy talked about, a curse for us on this tree, that we might become the righteousness of God. He permanently broke the cycle of sin as our ultimate Savior, and he, as our Redeemer, sought out our redemption and has restored all that has been lost. This testimony about God is focused on the testimony about Christ. You see that as Paul specifies here in verse 2. What he means about proclaiming the testimony of of God. What did that mean for him? Well, look there there in verse 2. Deciding to know nothing among the Corinthians except Christ and him crucified. That to Paul was the essence, the main point and emphasis of the whole storyline of Scripture. Now you might think to yourself, of course, of course that's what Paul would go do to the Corinthian church. Preach Christ and the cross. I mean, that's what Christians talk about in church. Whether that, that were always true. But, friends, remember. When Paul first went to Corinth, there was no church there, no Christians there. In other words, this wasn't a place and a people longing to learn about Jesus. What kind of people were they then? Well, well, they were people like every other people across the globe throughout all of history. A people turned in on themselves boasting in their own abilities and living to please themselves. Uh, Culturally, the the people in Corinth, like other ancient Greeks, valued rhetoric and philosophy. If you could eloquently turn a phrase or drop some deep-sounding truth, you could gain an audience, some notoriety and esteem. Uh, Those were that society's athletes and entertainers. Their top social media influencers. And, and morally, Corinth was corrupt, a place where anything goes. You live like you want to live. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in a few chapters, Paul reminds some of the Corinthian converts of how they used to live, like the rest of their countrymen. They were sexually immoral. Idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, drunkards, revilers, and swindlers. What the Corinthians were all about would have been well known. A, a quick Wikipedia search would, would return these results Beautiful city, bustling city, but they live the wrong way and love the wrong things. Yet, as Paul researched the Corinthians, notice his response. The knowledge of their waywardness did not turn him away. He figured, great, what better place to go? Again, the the beginning of verse one tells us he, he came to them. In that, he modeled his Lord, Jesus Christ who in seeing the wickedness and the waywardness of the world did not turn away from us, but moved towards us. He came to us. So Paul resolved to come, despite the mess he was coming to in Corinth. But, but what would he come and do? I mean, knowing the depth of the issues ahead, you'd figure he'd start formulating and contextualizing the best mission strategy, how he would reach this culture. Uh, let's see, they love rhetoric and wise-sounding teachings. Uh, maybe I'll take a master class on public speaking or philosophy. Uh, maybe I can find a, a YouTube clip or, or some of, of some of their best teachers and, and mimic some of their styles while I work on some debate points to use against them. Or oh, the people over there in Corinth have some really bad behaviors. Let me research some programs that might help them. Ah, found one. Idolaters Anonymous. <laughs> no, Paul doesn't do any of that. His only plan is to prioritize the preaching of the word, specifically the word about Christ and his cross. When he decided, to go to Corinth he also decided how to go to them not in ways that that scratch their cultural itches for outstanding oratory or mystical musings passing for wisdom he came not with lofty speech or wisdom but decided to know nothing among them except Christ and him crucified what was this decision driven by by what people most needed. They did not need more of what they already wanted. They didn't need more of man's words or man's wisdom. They needed to hear from God. And so Paul limited his speech. It wasn't because he couldn't have talked about more. I mean, this man had a deep well of wisdom. He was taught by one of the most well-known Jewish teachers in Gamaliel. He was well-versed in Jewish teachings and Jewish culture. He also knew Greek teaching and Greek culture. To the people of Crete in Titus chapter 1, he quoted one of their own poets. And to the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers in Athens in Acts chapter 17, he, he quoted a Greek author. There was other stuff he could have said he could have focused on. But that would not have helped people. You see, the the people of Corinth, like the people of Goodyear and Avondale and Buckeye and, and Phoenix and D.C. and Dubai and Eritrea and Scotland and Israel and Egypt were sinners dead in their sin and destined for hell. What they needed most needed to hear about was a savior. Paul made up his mind to to background everything else and push Christ and what he's done to the forefront. That was what was most precious to him and most pressing to give to others. Friends, do, do we have the same mindsets? We live in a day where a lot of words are being flung around. We, like the Corinthians, value speech. We value man's wisdom. We've created seemingly endless avenues to air out our opinions. There's a lot to say about a lot of things. But what must be said? And is that what we talk about? What do our words reveal about what our hearts treasure. Is it Christ and the cross? Too often it's the case that we can go on and on and on in great detail about our favorite sports teams. We can recite stats and records at a whim and get highly animated in vehemently defending players and teams that have no idea that we exist. But comparatively, we have no passion to talk about Christ. Too often, we can explain the intricate details behind conquering some complex home project, But do not take time to explain the simple gospel to others. Too often, we we boast of finding some great bargain or some amazing deal but do not boast in the most amazing deal in all the universe that God has granted salvation for free. Too often, especially of late, we've become supposed experts on every subject matter from mass to vaccines, to politics, to race, to justice. We get highly involved in doing our research and stating our opinions and using our words to tear down others who disagree with us, Christian or not. We open our laptops and let loose missiles on social media posts, broadcasting our unsolicited thoughts to the world about this or that issue. But we do not open our lips to tell our neighbors next door what they need to have eternal life. Says that is not right. When we use the mouths that God has given us as megaphones for everything except God. Friends, it's dark. Times are dark and hell is hot and people are perishing. How will we use the few days the Lord has given us? Is it to do His work? to declare his word? You see, we, like Paul, have been given a commission to tell people that even though they've sinned against a good and a perfect God and have earned his just punishment, a punishment of eternity in hell, that he has sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we should have lived. But then to to mount up on a cross and to die a vicious death, a death that you and I should have died for our sins. He was buried, but raised on the third day for our justification, so that all who turn from their sins and put their trust in him might be saved. That was the good news that Paul took to, to the Corinthians. And the good news for us today, that God has so loved us, That he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins and save anyone, any ethnicity, any age, any gender, any walk of life, any background, any secret thing that's been happening. God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and to rescue you if you would turn from your sin, if you would bring your sin out into the light, if you would confess your sin, the Bible tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse all your unrighteousness. If you're here today and you have not done that and you want that kind of salvation that God grants in his son, you can have it today. Turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus. If you want to talk more about what that looks like, talk to Pastor John after service or Pastor Steve or Pastor Bo or anyone around you, really. You're kind of in the best place to come to know Jesus. Right. We mean to make Christ known. If you've already experienced that salvation. Then we ought to proclaim it. Today. There's no other way for people to be saved except by hearing about the cross of Christ. That's not to say we can't and shouldn't talk about other things. The Lord has has made us wonderful creatures who, who hold vast amounts of information and whose interests are sparked by all sorts of fields of study. That's a great thing. But it is to say to make the main thing the main thing to prioritize Christ. So as Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, and point one is the longest in case you get scared, right? Every, every point won't be this long, okay? <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall it be restored? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled there ought to be something distinctive salty in our speech paul says elsewhere says elsewhere our speech is to be filled with grace seasoned with salt but if we spend our time using our tongues talking about what everybody else is talking about the salt becomes indistinct flavorless We just blend in our voice, no different from the chorus of others speaking in unison about matters that hold no eternal value. Everybody's venting about politicians and policies. Everybody's talking about which Kardashian is dating which athlete or actor this week. That ain't for us. That's not to be our primary contribution to the world let us be the ones, let Redeeming Grace Church be the ones who proclaim Christ and who plan to do so. You you, you see, it doesn't just happen. It starts with a commitment to God's word. Friends, so read your Bibles the rest of 2022. Now, maybe here we are near the midpoint of the year, and you've fallen so far behind the Bible plan you started in January that you've given up. Well, simply press reset and read on. Or or pick a new plan. But not simply to, to uh, to develop better Bible reading habits this year, but to deepen your relationship with the God who made you. It's not about checking a box, but about cherishing Christ. Ask the Lord to grow your desires, to read his word, and to grow your knowledge and love of him and what he's done for you. Now, what would happen if over the next few weeks and months, you spent time prayerfully studying and meditating on and memorizing Isaiah chapter 53, or Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, or Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Here's what I'm betting. Your heart would be transformed, and so would your speech. As you know him more, you'll want others to know him. Saints, soak yourselves in prayer and the scriptures and let Christ drip out your lips. Which in turn will mean limiting what else comes out of your mouth. You might have very strong opinions on a matter that you feel you strongly need to share. But ask yourself this evaluative question. What am I after in sharing this? What's my ultimate goal? Is it to see people come to know the Lord? Or is it for me to win this argument? For me to look more intellectual, more in the know, more impressive than you or you or them? You see, we're going to have to make up our minds what's most important We're going to have to make up our minds, what are we going to talk about? We can model it this morning after service. What will your words be about to fellow people around you, to fellow members? Yes, you can talk about how how strange the week was. Yes, you can talk about the weather. Yes, you can talk about uh, the game yesterday or the game this afternoon or what you're going to have for lunch. Those are fine, but, but make Jesus the centerpiece of your conversations. What, what did you think about the servant? You can be honest. Uh, how's Jesus helping you fight that sin? Uh, how are you clinging to the cross today, sister, in the midst of, of life's problems? You see, the message of the gospel isn't just for unbelievers out there somewhere. But it's for believers in here right now. We need the gospel, too. We need to be pointed to the cross when trials arise and God seems distant. When it feels like he does not care. Look at what he did for you on the cross. We need to be pointed to the cross when we're tempted to grow bitter when another member slights us or sins against us and we don't want to forgive look at the lens that god went to to forgive you we need to be pointed to the cross when we share that we've sinned it's been a bad week with our eyes with our tongues with our time For every look at our sins, we need to be told to take 10 looks to the cross, to take 10 looks at our Savior. Look at him writhing on the cross in pain, suffering on the cross in shame, forsaken on the cross by the Father, dying on the cross to save us for every single one of our sins from both their penalty and their power. We need to prioritize the word of God in our lives, specifically the word of the cross, the message of the gospel. It is how God both saves and sanctifies sinners, how he gives us new life in Christ, and how he continually grows that new life in him. Plan to prioritize the word. There's a second action that Paul models for us here that we need to emulate. Not only do we need to plan to prioritize the word, we also need to, number two, live to minimize your worth. Live to minimize your worth. And now that pretty much goes against all the worldly wisdom of today. Everything is about building up your brand marketing yourself making yourself look as impressive as possible you find it in every field in every profession even in churches and with pastors maybe every couple of weeks i'm i'm visiting church websites sometimes at the recommendation of others sometimes simply to see what the other churches are in my area sometimes to to help people find good churches like Redeeming Grace in other areas. And I'm generally always clicking on a couple of tabs on those websites. What the church believes and who are the church's leaders. And on that latter tab, the the church's leaders, what you sometimes find is the description of the pastor. And that description, description sometimes amounts to a written highlight reel how great he is how many members he's brought in how many ministries he started Uh, how much money he's added to the budget how dynamic a preacher is he is how he's recognized from coast to coast state to state country to country even though you've never heard of him! how different that is From Paul's description of himself in verses 3 and 4. He says in verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. There was nothing impressive in Paul's appearance or demeanor. He wasn't an imposing figure who commanded the room. He was the kind of guy that, that if 30 other men uh, were in a church service with him, people would expect any one of those other 30 to be the pastor besides Paul. He wasn't self-confident or charismatic or dripping with swag. And he wasn't pretending to be. Paul came to the Corinthians with a message, a powerful message. And he owned being the means, weak as he was, through whom that message would be communicated. Elsewhere, Paul spoke about his his many hardships and his ailing body and his unimpressive eloquence. He was weak. But even apart from, from Paul's particular features, his description of himself here describes all of us. Or at least it should. We are weak, in fear, trembling. Before God, that is. You you see, that's our ultimate audience and our ultimate standard. Every day we live our lives before him. How then can any of us boast in his presence? We're all just human beings not God's. Men and women with clay feet who ought not make much of ourselves. We all need to be reminded that we're just not that important. Life is not about us. We've been made by God in his image. So in that sense, we're all very valuable beings in relation to him. We're created by him and for him to reflect his glory to others. But, but the problem is that we try to find value in relation to other people. Do we look or dress or speak or preach or have faith or do ministry better than them? At the height of our self-focus, we even make ministry about us. Sure, we'll use Jesus's name, but it's ultimately about our faith our renown. We are the only bold truth-tellers in an age of supposed cowards. We are the sole saints still standing for Jesus in an age of compromise. We crown ourselves the prophetic voices of the day and in discounting everyone else's faith, put the spotlight solely on us. But Paul it's something that, that John the Baptist learned and that we must learn in following Jesus and in living to make him known, he must increase and we must decrease. Now that's counterintuitive for most of us because how we think, how we like things to go is, sure, I'll proclaim Christ that that he might increase, but I wanna get in, in on it as well. Christ must increase, and I increase right alongside it with him. It's a package deal. He's the platform for my popularity and prestige. But that's not how the scriptures present things. Christ must increase. He must take the priority in our lives and in others' lives that he rightly deserves. But just as necessary is that we must decrease. Decrease. We must lower ourselves. As one pastor friend of mine called it, we have to stop photobombing Jesus. (laughs) We don't belong in the same frame. He's the star of the show. He's the main focus, not us. And remember what the focus on Christ even revolves around. What seems to be his weakness. His, His death on the cross. That's what Paul highlights, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, that he was crucified in, in weakness. Christianity is the only religion in the world that boasts in its hero, in its God, seeming weak. Suffering. Dying. Far be it from Paul then to put the focus on how his own life is strong and remarkable. And far be it for him to speak in such a way that rhetorical flair would take away from the reality of a bloody cross. He says in verse 4 that his speech and his message were not implausible words of wisdom. He didn't use persuasive techniques or manipulative tools in his speech. He didn't string words together in such a way to solicit amen to just anything he said. Paul didn't want any undue attention on himself or his words in and of themselves. He wasn't out to demonstrate his abilities, but the Spirit's power. And so he came simply, humbly, lowly and spoke about Jesus with simplicity and sincerity. He mirrors the one he spoke about. When the Son of Man came into the world, he came simply, humbly, lowly. And in both Jesus and Paul's lives, we see the Spirit of God work in wonderful and in powerful ways through what seemed to be weakness. You know, he's, he's still doing that. But when we exalt ourselves, when we put the spotlight on us, we, in a sense, short-circuit that power. People can't see how worthy Jesus is because we keep trying to show people how worthy we are. You, you see, the Holy Spirit's work is to testify about Jesus. Jesus said in, in John chapter 15, verse 26, when the Helper comes... Whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. We work against the Spirit's work when we make life and ministry about us. In what ways might we be guilty of that? In what seemingly small ways might we be magnifying ourselves and minimizing Christ? Uh, Consider your speech, even in casual conversations. Are you cognizant of how many times you talk about yourself? Just replay a, a recent conversation, maybe even this morning. How often do you find a way to insert your take or your experiences in a dialogue? How without thought you take center stage. Someone else tells and shares their grief, their experiences, and really quick, you'll be like, oh yeah, I had that too. What about when you talk not about yourself, but about Jesus? Do you find yourself maneuvering? Uh, trying to smooth out the points you know that will be hard for others to hear? Maybe softening what sin is. Or, or bypassing the horrors of hell. Or not mentioning the exclusivity of Christ. All because you want to keep some esteem in the eyes of your friends or family members or co-workers. You still want them to think highly of you. Do you not talk about Jesus at all? Because you feel inadequate. You don't know enough scripture. Don't know answers to enough of the common objections. You stammer and get stuck and feel stupid, so you just keep your mouth shut. Friends, the common denominator in all these situations and scenarios in different ways is that the focus is on you. You see, the poison of pride is that it makes us think not only too highly of ourselves, but too often about ourselves. We need to humble ourselves. Ask God to humble us. We we need to boast of Jesus Christ. Get out of the way and watch as God works. Which leads to our third and last point. Rest on God's spirit to work. Rest on God's spirit to work. In verse 5, Paul provides the purpose for his philosophy of ministry. Why did he prioritize preaching the cross of Christ? Why did he he put his weaknesses on full display and not try to win the Corinthians with his appearance or speech? Because he wanted the Corinthians to depend not on him, but on God. He says in verse 5, He went about his ministry in such a way that the Corinthians' faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, Paul knew there was a way to do ministry that would instantly win converts. He knew there was a way to do ministry that would attract followers to himself primarily and and then to God. But he didn't want that. I mean, even with the way he did ministry, even with his, I'm trying to look weak so that Christ looks big, even with his philosophy of ministry, the way he did it, People still made it man-centered. He talks in chapter 1 about the church being divided with some people saying, I follow Paul. Others saying, I follow Apollos. In the book of Acts, we see that that Paul went to one place and he he was speaking and doing miracles and the people tried to, to worship him as a god. There's always a craving in people to cling to personalities. But people have no power no real power only God has the power to save to give life and by his spirit he does that's what our brother Norman read for us earlier in Ezekiel chapter 37 Paul understood that that when we put ourselves in the back and proclaim the word of Christ to dead sinners that the spirit works Just as he did in bringing dead bones to life, he now brings dead sinners to spiritual life. Through our seemingly weak words, God works wonders so that God alone gets the praise. I mean, why else would anyone believe our message apart from God's powerful work? Have you ever considered that? I mean, we believe some crazy things. We believe that a God you can't see made the world and everything in it by simply speaking. And that 2,000 years ago, that God left heaven, became a man to save the world that rebelled against him. He was born through a virgin. And he lived an entirely perfect life, not even sinning as a toddler. Do you have a toddler? Have you seen your toddler? Or you a teenager? <laughs> he lived an entirely perfect life. And, and then he gave his life as a ransom for us to buy us out of bondage to sin and death. He, he, he died in, in such a way that his death was the payment for everyone who would believe in him. He he was buried and then after three days he walked out of a tomb showing that his death was sufficient payment for our sins. And then he walked around for another 40 days. Then after that he called a cloud like he was calling an Uber Hopped up on top of it and ascended into heaven where he lives forever. And one day again, he's coming back down on a cloud to gain every single one who believes in him, to live with him in a new heavens and a new earth for eternity. That is definitely not man's wisdom. That's not what you say to someone if you want them to believe something. I mean, that is utterly Unbelievable. That is the essence, the epitome of a weak message. It sounds like complete foolishness. I mean, who would believe something like that? How could they? One answer, God. God causes us to believe. He enlivens and empowers us to believe. And he's still doing that today. He is at work. And we need to rest in his work, in his power to save people through weak vessels like us. And we want other people to rest in the Lord's strength to save and to rely on him and not to rely on us. Because, friends, even though we want to live godly lives, we will not live perfect lives we may let some folks down i mean some of us this morning may have been led to the faith may have been led by folks who themselves today are no longer walking with the lord Uh, but in a in a sense in a very real sense it was never about them yes the means are important but the means are not ultimate And so you don't need to deconstruct your faith because of somebody else's failings. You don't need to turn away from Jesus when life turns hard, when finances dry up or jobs are lost or family members die because the reliance was never on people and their prowess or their presence or their promise. The the resting, the reliance was always on God and his power. He He has powerfully worked. By his spirit to save us. He is powerfully working in us to to strengthen us. And he will powerfully work through us to save and strengthen others. Saints, recognize your insufficiencies. Rely on the Lord. And raise your voice for Jesus. Center your life. On speaking of Christ. And let God showcase his powerful work through your profound weakness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your work doesn't rest ultimately in us. We rarely can bring about the things in life that we want. But Lord, you can do all things. As you say in your word, is anything too hard for God? And the answer is a resounding no. And so, Lord, we pray that we would own our weaknesses. We would own that we are weak, but that we would own that when we are weak, you are strong. Use weak vessels like us, Lord, to speak about Jesus. To speak about Jesus this afternoon. To speak about Jesus to unsaved spouses when we go back home. To speak about Jesus on the car ride back home with unsaved children. To speak about Jesus tomorrow morning at the office to unsaved co-workers. To speak about Jesus to ourselves to preach about the power of you to save and strengthen your people, even to ourselves when times are hard and we are in doubt. Help us to center our lives on speaking of Christ. And to rest in your powerful work even through weak people like us. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.